welcome to the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about The Waiting Room. It is the first story from episode 18 of season 2. Originally broadcast January 26, 1972. And this story was written by Rod Serling and directed by Jeno Swark. And it is again a, a time when the Night Gallery goes to the Old West. Felicitations and greetings from this cavern of canvases, dedicated and devoted to bringing you art lovers a few in-depth probes through the crust of the not quite real, the almost real, and the frankly and flagrantly unreal. Pictures, paintings, portraits rendered onto canvas with brush and sometimes claw. Item number one. In a $12.50 pine box reposes the body of a frontier Frankie, armed but disarming, a victim of an Old West philosophy that any man with a good eye, a limber finger, and a well-honed trigger skirts the pastures of immortality. But this chap found out the hard way that immortality is a wish, a word, but infrequently a reality. He awaits your pleasure in a painting we call The Waiting Room. Sam Ditcher is a a gunslinger, and he's played by Steve Forrest. And he is on his horse, and he heads towards, uh, well, he sees, first of all, a, a man who has been hung with a hood over his head. And this amuses him somewhat. And he continues on his way to a dead, dead uh, town, and what appears to be a very quiet bar. It's quiet, but there are some people in there sitting around playing poker. They don't seem particularly happy. And at the bar is a, a barman who allows uh, the man to have a drink. Is told in true Western style uh, to, to leave the bottle so he can continue to drink from it. By Sam. And the room has a, a very, very loaded and, and very, very oppressive atmosphere I think and this is uh, typified by a ticking clock that can be heard and this clock when this clock chimes one man stands up tells the story of a fella who was killed by a shotgun blast then heads to set insists that it is now his time to head out into the street and he does so and almost immediately afterwards there is a sound of a gunfire um, this continues with more of the men. Uh, you know, the, uh, the clock chimes to the hour. Uh, they stand up, tell their story, and then step outside. And it appears that something incredibly grisly then happens to them. Sam is uh, upset and worried about this, but he appears to be the only person, and I'm including the viewers in this, that doesn't know what's going on. Finally, we're down to one man, a doctor, and so you get an idea of how this happens. He then tells his story again and tries to explain exactly what is happening to Sam and why he is also in the bar. What's the point? What's the point? We 
of us. Made a vow with a gun. A Colt 45 till death do us part. I stayed on the clean side, took care of the boys that used the gun. Old Doc Soames, your friendly slug remover. Bring me any carcass with one breath left in it, and for a price, I would gouge out the lead and make you run again, and shoot again, and kill again. Right up until the end, these fingers never pulled a trigger. They were skilled, trained, educated in the art of surgery. A gift from God. And then one conscience-stricken day, when I toted up the killers that I had saved, I suddenly realized I had spit in God's eye. For for every patient that I counted, I counted at least one victim. Every man I saved had gone out and killed again. What does the Bible say about uh, he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword? Update that, Mr. Dictor. Make it a gun. to my office. I pulled open the drawer, took out a gun. Blue steel, symbol of my professional skill. That long barrel of deity that you and I have worshipped for so long. And I turned it on myself. Point is, Mr. Dictor, the elusive point is that we, all of us, were doomed from the moment we took up firearms. I'm not doomed. I still got a right hand. I can outdraw any man alive. I got a talent for it. You had a talent for it, Mr. Dictor. Finally, Sam starts to get an idea about what's going on. He realizes that the next time the, um, the clock chimes, it will probably be for him. The hours have been passing incredibly quickly, and to the point that it, it's obvious that he, he does not long to wait. He goes to the barn and demands some answers, some idea, exactly what's happening, why it's happening, and where the hell is he. What's the name of this town? Where is it? What is it? It's just a... just a waiting room, Mr. Dictor, where each man waits out what is ordained. 
Some call it uh, hell. Oh, you don't make no sense either. I'm afraid there's no more time. So Sam is in hell and the bar is now closed. He realises that there's not much he can do and it's time to face up to his responsibilities and to finally exit and to see his fate and relive again the moments before he died, taken by a mob out into the streets and hung. He steps outside, we hear screams and then we cupped to Sam again who is on that road heading back into town and he sees um, the man hanging from a tree again hooded but this time he decides to go over and check who is behind the hood and there he sees himself screams heads towards the bar and the cycle begins again the Twilight Zone has a fair, its first share of uh, bad men who go to hell and relive their moments, their final moments, or get an ironic uh, time in in their own, uh, you know, in their own hell, as it were. Um, thinking of it, a good example uh, would be uh, a nice place to visit, and indeed. The, uh, the sailing script was originally entitled for this story, A Nice Place to Visit, But I Wouldn't Want to Die Here, which kind of gives a bit of an indication exactly where Sailing's head was when he was putting this together. Um, I mean, even something like, you know, even talking at Night Gallery, I mean, this wouldn't, Sailing would have known this when he substituted the script, but Hell's Bells follows similar ground, but in a more comedic way, in a slightly more unusual way, and uh, it's very reliant on that on that case, on uh, on the on the gags. But at the same time, you know, it, it's basically the same story as this one. Man discovers exactly what his punishment in hell is, and in this case, it's to relive his death time and time again. Um, it's a patchy script as well, which doesn't help. Um, it's a long story, twenty-seven minutes, but. First of all, thing I'd say is that you know this, those the stories that the dying men give are very, uh, very good. They're, um, they're 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 very very well put together, and some 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 of the dialogue in this is excellent, and then some of the dialogue goes into real cornball, western, you know, son of a gizzard kind of stuff, which is, it's it's surprising from sailing really. It's a bit lazy, um, you know. There is some speculation I think about why of all the scripts Jack Lear decided to leave this one alone um, some people feel it's just because of the timing because Sailing at this stage was really piling on pressure about rewrites to his work that had gone badly and, and were poorly done um, I think if it this had been cut down slightly uh, trimmed then it might have worked a bit better the other issue with it is, and, and this is less of an issue because I, you can go with this story on on the journey without we're kind of working out what's going to happen, is the fact that Sam is without that. I mean, it's 27 minutes long. You'll ha you, you have sussed in your head pretty much what's going on the second 
the first guy steps up and walks out. But then the cycle continues, and Sam is oblivious to this, and he's, you know, the, the, the characters actually say, you're not very bright, are you? And uh, that's that's an interesting way to try and wrap right around the fact that, you know, you've re revealed your, the obviousness of your twist very early, and someone needs to tell Sam Sharper so we can get through the story. Um, which is which is good, in a sense. It's an interesting... Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting how it's done, because um, you kind of like you're sitting there following him through his journey, but you kind of not, there's the inevitability. You're in on it as well. That's what I think. I've, I've actually, the best way to put it is, you're the barman, really, the man who 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 watches it and you know is kind of waiting patiently for the penny to drop. Because the other side of it is, we have no idea how many times the barman has watched this cycle continue now. This is just once on, a, on an unrelenting time where Sam goes through the motions time and time again and might do things slightly differently, but ultimately the realization about what his fate is going to be comes to him when the uh, the bell the clock rings for one o'clock. Um, I think <clears throat> this is a good example. You know, if if, if you're discussing the night gallery with your friends. And someone says that the old classic that well, sailing stuff was already written. Say, so, well, this obviously wasn't. It's very much a sailing piece. It's very much something that could have come from the Twilight Zone. It has that feel, um, and it would sit well with that company. And also because of the timings, it would also be a little bit shorter, which probably would would help help some trim off some of the fat in the uh, in the script. Um. You know, no, everyone needs a good editor, and uh, even Sale. And so, I think it's a bit surprising, quite, how the you know this is kind of polished through, in such an easy way. Um. That said, as well as, it is the atmosphere that keeps you keeps you rooted and uh, engaged with the story, and that's almost entirely down to the work. Well, it is entirely down to the director of photography, Gerald Finneman, and uh, Jenna Swark as well, who create this atmospheric, it's very classical Western, like um, there's a 1950s feel to it, you know, those um, John Ford kind of Western. And uh, it's really good in that sense that it, it kind of carries you through. I mean, there's the great shot when he kind of comes in and, and orders his drink and then the camera kind of slightly moves around and you can see the uh, the poker table in the background, and also the uh, these great, great, very very brutal, uh, un uncompromising close-ups of our uh, our cast members and their faces, which is another classic western kind of idea. Really, really cool. Um, it is. You know, it has a very certain feel as well. It has a, a very, a very certain look. You know, it's dirty, dusty, and it's washed out. And that's entirely down to the work of one man, uh, the uh, the set designer in in this case, uh, Joe Alves. Um, Joe says in uh, is quoted the same in the in the After Hours book. Um, we had a production meeting and a decision was made to use the Virginian bar. 
And I said, oh Jesus, okay. And Jack said, okay, stop, stop. Okay, Joe, what do you want to do now? Well, Jack, everybody used the Virginian bar. Well, why not, he said, it's a Western. I said, why don't we do it in a sort of sepia tone? Why don't we paint the whole thing sepia, the wardrobe, the set, the decor, everything? Jack said, oh, that's interesting. I've worked for other TV producers and they're like, hey, forget it, get real, this is TV. But Jack was always, let's go for it. It was always fun on the night gallery. And that kind of, that tone, what that gives it, I mean, he's talking about being a Western kind of feel. And it does make it very grubby. But I think it also makes it quite oppressive as well, these, these brown, earthy colours. And I think that's really what helps create the mood of what's happening. If it was just a, you know, a normal bar, it would definitely not have the same kind of feel to it. But with Night Gallery, uh, they've managed to do something a little bit different. And what is in truth quite mundane material and quite average has been elevated to something a bit better. That would be the voices of the jury, the people who pass judgment on you after your last kill. They're outside, waiting. It's closing time. Okay, I mean, I've said that was mundane, and I think that's a little bit harsh. I, I, I enjoy the story, the episode actually, and I enjoy the story. It is, um, it has its, it has its moments. I mean, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's you know, you you can have a script that's not quite good, but you're still in it for the ride, and I think in that case, I'm certainly in it for the ride. Um, just some housekeeping. Apologies again for missing another week. I lost my voice. Um, I, I could not talk at all, and uh, I, did, I mean it was painful. And a throat infection, and the, and the thought of like sitting down and talking for like twenty-five minutes, pretty much non-stop, uh, just couldn't couldn't get my head around it. So I had to bang it on the head for a week. But I'm feeling better now, so that's good. And we're gonna move on to uh, some other good, some, well, some great stuff coming up soon. If you want to get hold of me, you can do my uh, my personal Twitter is at orange underscore monkey, or you can email me at chris at twilightzonenetwork.com. They're the two easiest ways. Um, or you can go to our website www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. All the stuff that we put out is on there. All the um, X minus one suspense and uh, Tom's Twilight Zone podcast as well. You can leave any comments in the comment sections and stuff. Of anything that you like or any opinions you have or any feedback um, we'd love to get that obviously as you can imagine um, yeah and I mean that that's kind of it for me uh, today uh, next week we have got a great story a story which features Bill Bixby as well which is fantastic um, it's a little bit unusual and um, who said statues couldn't be scary eh? it's um, there's a, there's a really nice touch to this particular tale, uh, the last rites for a dead druid. So until then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>